0: In the 14th century, Italian poet Dante Alighieri penned his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The epic poem tells a story of a lost pilgrim who is guided through hell to meet his beloved in heaven. This fantastic journey is also a coded allegory. Hidden in the symbolism is a much deeper story with a map of history that connects Dante's life with our own. This is Dante's history. Inferno, Canto 6 how the rain maketh them, like unto dogs? One side they make a shelter for the other, Oft turn themselves, the wretched reprobates. To sum up the poem so far, A lost pilgrim and his ghostly guide Are travelling through the circles of the inferno On a journey made possible by divine intervention. In the previous canto, the duo traversed the second circle where they encountered Minos, the judge of the dead, and the hurricane of damned souls caught in the winds of lust. After hearing the sob story of one of the damned souls, the saddened pilgrim faints. In this canto, the pilgrim enters the third circle where he encounters the demonic hound of hell. We'll learn about the uncomfortable existence of the damned in this circle and speak with a Florentine citizen nicknamed the hog. Here, the poet shifts his commentary from the private life of the subjects to the public life. Dante is beginning to address the root causes of the civil war in his hometown of Florence. The canto begins with our hero returning to consciousness. This is the second time our poor pilgrim has fainted. Unlike the turbulent boat ride across the Acheron, it wasn't fear that caused Dante to faint in the second circle. The pity he felt for the lustful lovers filled him with such sadness he was left confused and overwhelmed. He quickly realizes he is in a new area of the inferno, one filled with more torment heavy rain falls down on the residents of the third circle. It's a cold, unrelenting downpour, a mix of hail and snow filthy water. The circle is loud. The pounding rain is mixed with the typical din of howling pain, groans, and something else, like a constant thunder. It's the sound of barking. Guarding this realm, is the ferocious three-headed beast known as Cerberus. Most may remember Cerberus as the twelfth and final beast of the Greek tale, The Twelve Labors of Heracles. But the infamous Hound of Hades appears in many tales. The beast is usually depicted as a giant dog or dog-like. In one sixth century tale, the Hound of Hades isn't a hound at all, but a poisonous snake. The constellation known as Cerberus is a three headed snake, not a dog. Other tales depict a dog with a mane of snakes or other reptilian qualities. This is probably alluding to the beast's half reptile mother, Echidna, the mother of all monsters. Cerberus is usually described as multi headed, but in some cases, he has as many as 50 to 100 heads. In the Aeneid, Virgil describes Cerberus as vast, filling a cave from end-to-end. Some interpretations see Cerberus and his three mouths as an allegory for the sources of human hatred, or human strife. Another interpretation is that the three heads are the three ways a soul can enter the underworld, be it by natural causes, or the cause of someone else, or by accident. Cerberus has also been interpreted as an allegory for the all-consuming earth. The Greek word kreoboris means flesh devouring. Heracles' capture of Cerberus could be interpreted as him overcoming his earthly desires. Dante seems to somewhat echo this relationship with the earth. When Cerberus confronts the pilgrim and his guide, Virgil distracts him by scooping up some of the foul earth and tossing it into the mouths of the beast. Dante follows tradition, giving Cerberus dog-like qualities, with large tusks and a black coat and red eyes. He describes a perpetually furious and ravenous monster, constantly barking while it rampages around the circle, ripping various souls to shreds with its claws. The damned souls here can only lie in the foul mud, tossing and turning as the rain beats down on them. The pounding rain Endless barking and their own cries bring them to the verge of deathless. The existence of the damned here is one of pure discomfort. After distracting Cerberus, Virgil and Dante continue along the circle. The damned are like mere shadows. Their bodies are forever hollow, symbolizing their insatiable hunger and life. One of the shades sits up when he sees Dante approaching. O thou that art conducted through this hell, he said to me, recall me if thou canst. Thyself was made before I was unmade. This shade is asking Dante if he recognizes him, for he died after Dante was born. This obsession with wanting to be famous is the first indicator of who this man is. The Pilgrim doesn't recognize him, but asks the damned soul to jog his memory and gives him a series of questions that the shade carefully answers. He says he's from your city, meaning Florence, which he refers to as a city overflowing with envy. He says the citizens called him Chacco, and he was known for his gluttony. This is the sin of he and all who inhabit this circle. Jaco, in the Tuscan dialect, meant hog or pig. This is one of the mysterious characters of the poem. Unlike Francesca in the last canto, there's no evidence to confirm the identity of this Florentine citizen. A strong case was made for the poet del dell'Aguilara, who died while Dante was alive. But again, there is no proof. An early commentary held that Giaco was a wealthy banker who was notorious for his overindulgence in food and drink. He supposedly overindulged so much that his eyesight went bad and he wasn't able to count his money. We get this image of a wealthy man who was ridiculed for a somewhat ironic fate. The pilgrim sympathizes with Chaco. He then asks if the Shade knows what will become of their divided, discordant city. Chaco's answer comes in the form of a bleak prophecy and he to me, they, after long contention, will come to bloodshed, and the rustic party will drive the other out with much offense. Here's where Dante starts to address the civil war happening in Florence. Since this poem is taking place in 1300, and scholars believe Dante began writing it a few years after his exile in 1302, through Chaco, the poet is able to recount the events between 1300 In 1303, although in the narrative it hasn't happened yet. As you may remember from the first few cantos, Italy was divided by decades of civil war. When the imperialists were defeated, the victorious Guelphs split into two factions. The white Guelphs, also known as the Party of the Woods or the Wild Party, this is the rustic party that is mentioned in the poem, and the other faction, the aristocratic Black Guelph the two factions would take turns seizing control of Florence and banishing the other. First, the white banished the black. Then, by 1303, the black regained control with the help of Pope Boniface VIII and Charles de Valois. This is what the line, he who is now on the coast, means. While the poet was writing this, the blacks were in control of Florence. And it seemed to Dante that a long struggle was ahead. Chaco also mentions two just-but-unheard voices. This might be a reference to Dante and another poet, but some have made the case that the two are two forms of justice, or laws, the natural and the posited, in which case the citizens of Florence were ignoring both. Chaco finishes his tearful utterance by blaming envy, arrogance, and avarice for sparking the fires in the hearts of the divided citizens. Avarice, or greed for material wealth, will be covered more in depth in the next condo. The pilgrim asks Chaco for more. Does he know the fate of a few other late Florentine citizens who were famous for their good deeds? Five names are given. Farinata, Dejario, Resticucci, Mosca, and Arrigo. They are a mix of dead aristocrats, military leaders, politicians, and diplomats. The Pilgrim wants to know if they ended up in heaven or hell. Chaco informs him that they are all here in hell, but deeper down, and if the Pilgrim continues, he can meet them himself. Indeed, Dante will encounter almost all of these characters later in the poem. Farinata will show up in Canto 10. The Guelph nobles, Tejario and Restucci, will appear in Canto 16. Mosca has a special place deep down in the bowels of hell. We'll learn more about that in Canto twenty eight. Only the mysterious Arigo, thought to be Mosca's associate, doesn't show up again. Chaco has a parting request for the pilgrim, should he ever see the light of day. He asks Dante, to mention him to others, so that he may be remembered. With that, Chaco lays back down with the other prone and blind, just like his first words. His last words show that Chaco's main interest is being famous. Virgil ushers the pilgrim along. As they continue through the filthy mud and shadows, the pilgrim wonders if the torment of these souls would decrease if they were saved. Through Virgil, Dante is making references to the teachings of two of his main influences, St. Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle. The teachings regard the concept of the soulless body. Perfection, in this case, is a unity between the body and the soul. Being saved might allow these people to experience pleasure once again, but it would also come with pain. This canto ends with the duo talking as they descend into the next circle where they'll meet the god of wealth, Plutus. This final sentiment about the soulless body is the poet's way of criticizing his city. The pilgrim is still in the area of incontinence, dealing with matters of the body and self-control. Dante is viewing Florence As a body that has lost its soul. This idea of the body politic is the foundation of the idea of a nation. And a civil war is like a self destructive body. Dante likely had an old tale in mind when considering this body politic metaphor. If you're familiar with Aesop's fables, you may recall one called The Belly and the Members it goes something like this. One fine day, it occurred to the members of the body that they were doing all the work and the belly was having all the food. So they held a meeting and after a long discussion, decided to strike work till the belly consented to take its proper share of the work. So for a day or two, the hands refused to take the food, the mouth refused to receive it, and the teeth had no work to do. But after a day or two, the members began to find that they themselves were not in a very active condition. The hands could hardly move, and the mouth was all parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the rest. So thus, they found that even the belly, in its dull, quiet way, was doing necessary work for the body, and that all must work together, or the body will go to pieces. According to a Roman historian from around the time of Augustus, this tale was used to end a civil war in 494 BC. The war was between the ruling class patricians and the working class plebeians. And it was a patrician by the name of Menenius who helped forge a compromise between the two classes. But throughout this canto, we see references to separated body parts, as if Dante is saying Look, the body is now in pieces. And as Chiaco states, this is all because of envy, pride, and greed. In the next canto, the duo tread through the muck of avarice and meet the angry demon in charge of the damned souls who hoard wealth and spend excessively. Next time on Dante's History.